0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And this week, I'm joined by my buddy, Toby Gevin. Uh, you might know him from Twitter as at BatFlipCrazy and i had kind of been thinking about doing this episode with with toby if he was willing for uh, a couple months honestly since uh the player pool kind of became clear to me at least that i I think we've got as much high-end starting pitching depth as as we've had at least this time of year uh in in recent seasons and toby uh for those who don't know is uh is one of the, or I guess he's famous for the pocket aces strategy, uh, which, uh, I, I have used before. Uh, I used it in, in 2019, uh, with, uh, DeGrom and Cole, which was my first time and my most successful time using it. Uh, but I've been kind of shifting away from it in, in recent years. Uh, and I knew, uh, Toby would be happy to come on and, and uh, defend pocket aces at least to, to some extent so uh really appreciate you, you hopping on to join me toby how are you doing
2: yeah james it's great to it's great to join you um i just noticed the title of the episode is the death of pocket aces i feel like i've been invited to my own funeral here <laughs> well i you know i mean that's how are you not going to click on that title if you see that uh, pop up on? Your i TV. mean so. I, I i would definitely click on it so i think it's i think it's a really uh, it's a great title. Um
1: and this way people that are in drafts with you don't even need to listen to the episode they can just know that you're
2: you're not going the pocket aces route this year. Definitely not. I'm going util util to start. I think the double <laughs> util is is definitely the way to start drafts this year. So what has the kind of evolution been like for you uh in
1: in terms of when you first uh deployed this strategy of taking two starting pitchers with your first two picks and has it kind of been a, a go-to build ever since?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I first started using it, uh, my first time kind of doing the NFBC, I think was in 2018 when I partnered with a buddy to um, to do some NFBC work. And, you know, I've always been a fan of starting, uh, of starting pitching and pitching in general. Um, you know, when we think about you know, just the impact that pitching can have. And I'm talking like primarily here, five by five, you know, batting average, your traditional kind of roto leagues, like the impact that a starting pitcher can have is so much greater than any hitter, right? You have 14 hitters, you have nine pitchers, your pitchers, you know, your starting pitchers also throw the most volume. So, you know, a starting pitcher who goes like 200 innings, that's like 15% of your innings in any given, uh, you know, season, uh, if you go pocket aces, that's 30% of your innings pitch that you're getting from those elite guys. Whereas with hitters, you know, they're at bats are like, you know, eight, 9% of, of anything that contributes. So that was kind of like the initial Genesis was both that. And then thinking about the overall competitions in the NFBC and the need to really be able to, um, to be able to have like really good ratios, right? You have two ratio categories in pitching versus the one, like, you know, that I think is like a really key piece to the entire equation. So really kind of investing early in pitching, you know, the research tells us that that works, you do it heavily, you set yourself up to at least be competitive in pitching categories, if not elite. Like I wish I could have done it like you did and get Cole and DeGrom, you know, the one time or the first time that I did it. I mean, that's like right there is just, uh, that's kind of the pinnacle of of doing pocket aces. And so, um, you know, for all those reasons, I started doing it. Um, I was effective the first, you know, in 2018, when I partnered um, with a friend to do it, Uh, we were successful doing that. Uh, In 2019, successful doing that as well. And I think like throughout my kind of NFBC work, I've been pretty consistent in terms of finishing, cashing in leagues. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with that strategy of investing early in pitching and then just trying to kind of grind your way uh, on offense which I think in a lot of ways is different than what we've seen um, in the past but I understand that kind of the landscape has shifted dramatically this year with the player pool with the new ball last year Uh, pitching seems to be in 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 oversupply and so I think that you see the ADP kind of responding to that
1: yeah, and we're gonna get in kind of in depth on on just the, the ADP, the different sort of starting pitching tiers in terms of ADP uh, here in a second. But uh, are there certain? You know, and and a lot of this is just going to be NFBC focused. I mean, it, it's a it's a baseball podcast in December. Uh, you know, you and I both love the NFBC, but uh, you'll be able to apply this to just any league really. We're gonna we're gonna break down the, the top starting pitchers here. Uh, but just for the NFPC, for you specifically, uh, you know, I know you've done the the draft champions, you've done just the the, the standalone or the, the high stakes leagues where you're, you're trying to win the league. Are there certain contests that you think are are better for starting pocket aces than others on the NFPC?
2: Yeah, you know, I I used to think that the overall competitions were kind of the better the better venue for them, just because because you, you know, in an overall competition, you know, the general thought being you need to be able to be consistent across the board and, you know, with, with the ratio categories and pitching, you know, like those are what are correlate most with, um, with overall pitching points. And so you need to be really good at pitching to make sure that you have a chance at that overall. And then, you know, again, being able to, um, to be able to grind out those plate appearances. Four of the categories in hitting are ones where the more plate appearances you get, the more likely you are to do well in them. And so that's kind of like the general theory with it. I think I may like have a little bit of a different take on that theory now, just thinking about, you know, I'm very risk adverse as like a human being generally, like on a scale from one to like the most risk adverse person on the face of the earth. Like I'm pretty close in that, like most risk adverse people. On the face of the earth, and so like part of it is I think that like you know I don't like to be in the position where I'm taking risks with my pitching, you know whether it's streaming these like terrible two start pitchers at the end of the year or doing things like that like that's the place where I as a a fantasy player and as a human being are, are least comfortable. But I do think there's something to understanding like if you are playing in an overall competition, so much of the money in an NFBC league goes to the overall competition, and so part of being really good in the overall part of it is, you know, right. Drafting like the good players and drafting good pitching and doing all those things. But you, in some points in times you do need to take a risk, right. And you need to believe in yourself and your ability to identify those late round pitchers or those pitchers on the waiver wire before other people do. And I think that's something that I've done relatively effectively in the past. And so I think like, I may have a little bit more of a risk tolerance or I think you do need to have a little bit more of a risk tolerance, you know, with that starting pitching to have more of a balanced approach. And last year I really struggled in hitting, um, at least in some leagues, the leagues where I started out pitching heavy last year, I went even heavier than pocket aces. A lot of times I was driving three starters and and an elite closer before I was even hitting my hitting my hitters. So I did well. Um, but I, I don't think I've been in the competition for the overall recently. And I think Part of that might be from being a little bit less balanced. Um, I think it's a strategy that can work in, in any venue, I think. And part of it is just being a little bit less rigid or, or orthodox in, um, in your application of it and being willing to adapt to the player pool and to go after those guys that, that represent more value, if you will, or perceived value. So do you think the, uh,
1: because the, the, I think the most relevant ADP we can look at is probably the the 15 team draft champions. Um, do you think that the starting pitching going where it's going, like we know it's going to go higher. We don't know how much higher necessarily when it, when it comes to main event time, but we know it's going to go higher. Do you think that that shift is due to the buy-in or the draft and hold versus fab or the getting through spring training with the starting pitchers healthy, like a combination of all three?
2: Yeah, I think that, um, I think it's just based on last year. I think people's kind of, con, you know, kind of the major themes from last year were the ball, right? Like the ball changes, home runs all of a sudden are more valuable. Like when you look at actual SGP, so you look at like value per, per home run, like home runs are like more, are more valuable now than stolen bases are, you know? Um, and so that's something that's just totally different and new and as a result of the ball. And similarly, you see so many pitchers that really took that step from, you know, either a guy who had shown it once and hadn't done it before. So wasn't drafted at that very elite level and now has done it again. Um, you know, and so people feel a little bit more confident, um, just the overall suppression of ERA and WIP across the board, the 80th percentile is, you know, seems much more achievable maybe now. Um, and so I think a lot of those pieces are factoring into it. I think when we get into the, and, and also like, I, I also think that maybe there's an aspect to it that has to do with the number of leagues that people are drafting generally, like in the NFBC, people who are drafting now are drafting a lot of different leagues. And so there may be a little bit more of a tolerance for, you know, diversifying and spreading out where you're going. And if you're going to do that, you'd much rather kind of invest in that second tier where you get your elite hitters. And then you're hoping that you hit on the one out of every, you know, maybe like, you know, one out of those second tier guys is going to be the best pitcher this year. You're hoping that you hit that one guy And that is the league that you then have the chance to win the overall in. Um, So I think there's some game theory involved, like in thinking about it that way, but I think there's just this general perception that, you know, it's easier now to, to get starting pitching, which, you know, may be true, but I still think that there are things that differentiate some of those elite guys from the guys going behind them. Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, getting a lot of, you know, getting a lot of innings with, you know, ace ratios, like you're the guys that you're drafting as an ace, getting those ratios for a lot of innings, plus the amount of strikeouts you're getting per week from those guys. That's a, as scarce of a combo as anything you can find. Uh, It's just, and, and it's hard to find, you know, it's hard to find the Nestor Cortez or the Spencer Strider or the Kyle Wright or whoever it is. Uh, and even if you identify that player in a snake draft, you don't just get to have that player. Even if you are really high on them, you, you might get, uh, someone might get them before you. So um, I mean, there's just, there's so much to consider with this.
2: Um, well, I, or go ahead. And I'd also say James, to your, to your point, like, you know, for people who draft like a Kyle Wright or a Spencer Strider or somebody like that, and you're hoping for that, you know, kind of elite season that you get from them. Like, what is the percentage chance though, that, that one of those guys becomes a disaster, right? And that's part of what you're trying to avoid too, is not only get those elite ratios, like you mentioned, and I think it's by far the most scarce, you know, resource, that volume at ratios with the strikeouts and the strikeout difference differential is, is significant between some of those kind of higher level aces versus the other guys. But you're also trying to avoid those disasters, you know, like for every Shane McClanahan, you know, there's a Trevor Rogers for every, you know, Alec Manoa uh, there's a Sean Mania, you know, for every, every one of those kind of middle tier guys, the research tells us we're not very good at identifying those guys ahead of time. And I think that's the key thing is not like at the end of the season, what do things look like? But, but will we be able to identify those guys when we draft them?
1: So what is your uh, personal, what's your plan for the contest you're going to enter this year? Uh, Because we were talking a little bit about this off air, but um, you know, I I know I've done a bunch of, uh, you know, drafts that aren't super high stakes so far. You haven't done any drafts, but what are you planning to do?
2: Yeah. I'm really trying to like, I'm trying to uh, wait as long as possible. So I think I'll probably dip my toes in, in February with a few DCs just to kind of familiarize myself with like the player pool and get in, put myself in those positions where I have to make decisions. I may just do like the one minute clock ones, you know, which are kind of long, but just kind of getting in that groove of drafting and kind of having to make those split second decisions, not necessarily having as much time with the idea that I'm doing the research between now and then so that I feel more confident in kind of where I am. And also like trusting the projections a little bit more um, To I think so from there, so like probably three DCs. I'm really trying to limit the number of fab leagues that I'm doing. I used to do OCs. I think last year I did two, two or three. I think I'm going to cut out the OCs entirely this year. I'm going to do one main right now. I'm doing one um, auction championship league. I'm doing um, one super. And then I am sh- I split the um, diamond auction with Brian Slack. So really trying to focus on kind of those leagues that have a higher um, they have both a higher price point, but they have a, a higher return if you do if you do well. So still trying to diversify a little bit, but focus more on those kind of high stake ones this year.
1: Nice. That's uh, it's great that you're teaming up with Slack. Uh, as close to a friend of the pod as as you could be without uh, ever agreeing to come on the pod. Uh, Brian oh, man.
2: Well, um, he's he's a friend. of He's a friend of everybody. <laughs> Brian Stock is, is, is fantastic. So is. I can't believe he hasn't agreed to come on this. I'm going to text him afterwards and be like, what are you doing? He'll, he'll be like, Oh, well, I I'd come on if, if he asked me.
1: Um, but I, I've asked him, I've asked him before. I, I know when I, I know when my invite is, is not wanted. Um, <laughs> is, is uh I, lo- I love Brian Slack. Um Is, is your definition of pocket aces like, can it be an evolving idea? Does it have to be uh, round one and round two, or like right now? There's not a single pitcher with an ADP in the first round. If I were to draft, say, Jacob Degrom and Dylan Cease at the two-three turn, where they're going right now in Draft Champions, would that qualify as pocket aces to you? Or does it need to be in the first
2: two rounds? Absolutely not. There is a very rigid idea of rocket aces is James. And if anybody deviates from from it, I'm coming after you on Twitter. All right. Um, No, uh, I I think it, I think it has to be flexible. Like, I think that's one of the places where I've gone kind of, you know, where we're just like a little self-reflection where I feel like I've, I have made mistakes in the past is by being really rigid and being less driven by value and more on like an orthodoxy that in the first two rounds, I need to get elite starting pitching. Um, and so I think you need to evolve and you need to adapt like this year. I mean, for example, like we'll talk about it later, but like, you know, you've got, you could do aces in round two and three with Aaron Nolan, Brandon Woodruff, for instance, you know, like that's actually what, uh, Bob, Bob, uh, did in his main event winning team, right. Was to have that same combination, but last year. Right. So I really think you can do different things. I also think you need to throw those elite closers into the mix as well. You know, those closers that have done it, you know, multiple times that have the low ratios that provide the high level of saves that are on a good team. You know, I think you have to throw those guys in there because I think they are getting to the point now where they are pretty similar um, in value um, because of what they provide um, to you in a, in a challenging saves landscape. Um, you know, obviously you can get those guys later in draft and maybe that's where you want to take the risk. Maybe it's not, but. I think you kind of need to be able to adapt this strategy to to what what the market is saying, but not in a way where you let the market dictate what your strategy is, but adapting it if you don't need to grab pocket aces there, right? If you're like grabbing Aaron Nola and Brandon Woodruff is, is for the value proposition of getting a hitter in the first round better than drafting towards the back end and grabbing Garrett Cole and, and Corbin Burns, then... By all means, I mean, I think you you should do it, and I think the key is just the, that, like you mentioned before, like that unique thing of of these elite starters that give you both the ratios and the strikeouts. Like as long as you can get those two things, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fine. You can call it pocket aces. I won't get mad.
1: I mean, this is breaking news that, that you're telling me that I could take Emmanuel Class A in the second. And Aaron Nolan the third, and tell people that I went pocket aces. I mean this is this is big stuff.
2: I mean this is this is breaking news. I mean <laughs> what is an ace really? I mean it's like a, it's a card in a deck, you know and so um, I think it's totally fine I will I will not judge you. I will not uh, <laughs> take offense at all. you know I'm really trying to broaden my understanding and my, um, appreciation and acceptance for the world, you know? So I,
1: I, I only met, I, it's, it's interesting because I part of why I don't really ever consider pocket aces, you know, the first, second round thing anymore is because of closers, honestly. Um, and because I, I just kind of realized the thing I might be worst at in fantasy baseball is, finding cheap saves Um, you and me both so i i just i uh i feel much more relaxed and much more calm if i pay up for one closer early uh than if i pay up for you know two aces early um but uh yeah I, i think it's I mean, I, I'm always trying to evolve. I mean, I, I know, I know you are too. Uh, we just kind of touched on that. I mean, there's just this this game changes every year. Um, is there is there anything else we should touch on before
2: getting into the specific players here? You may evolve, James, but I, I'm like <laughs> a caveman. Look at me. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I think um, no. I, I I think you know. I think I think that the strategy in and of itself. I think one thing that we the ball changes every year, right? Like the landscape changes in ways that that are really difficult to know and understand. We're all trying to figure out like how are stolen bases going to change, right? If stolen bases become easier, then you need to get more, but maybe it's easier to identify guys later on, right? And then the need for speed that we have early on in drafts that dictates a lot of our offensive decisions, you know, the, the calculus on that changes. Similar to how, you know, with batting averages in the shift, right? Like if you're Kyle Schwarber's, are suddenly hitting, you know, 240, 250, instead of 210, 220, that also changes the landscape, you know, a little bit of what the value is. And then again, are we in a position where we're like, oh, well the actual true value, the hardest thing to get is those elite ratios with with the strikeouts, you know? And so I I think that, I think we need to be careful not to over adjust based on what happened in a previous year. I think the strategy still works but I also think that we need to be flexible in also using the market to our advantage. And if we don't, if the market is dictating that we don't need to to be rigid in in pocket aces and we can define it how we want to, then, you know, be open to that and and, and adjust accordingly.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really well said. Um, And I, I think the market right now is telling us, even if you, if you're draft, if you're doing a draft in late December or January, uh, the market is telling you that taking Corbin Burns in the seventh and you know, or or in the first round and then taking Sandy Alcantara in the second round, uh, or whoever you would like to take in the second round, that just doesn't really make sense uh, based on the market right now, um, because you can get the players that you can currently get in the third round, in the fourth round. Um, but uh, the market will change uh, as things currently stand. The, the only guys that are going even early second round are Corbin Burns, who in eight draft champions uh, since Thanksgiving has a min of 11, a max of 20 uh, and his ADP is the first player going in the second round Garrett Cole, who has a min of 16 and a max of 22 in those eight drafts, is going as the fifth player in the second round. Uh, Is that there is sort of a gap there between those two um, before we get to the next group? Do you think anyone else belongs in that gap? Do you think both Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole still deserve to be kind of the top two guys?
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to
3: do? Mobile banking
2: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I think, I think they do. I think they're the two guys for me that don't have a ton of questions. Like they've done it long enough. All of the skills are elite enough. Um, you know, especially like, I mean, Garrett Cole, I mean, I don't know what people want from Garrett Cole. Honestly, James, I I don't know what people want from him. The ERA wasn't great last year. He had the highest home run per fly ball rate of his career. I think, I don't have it in front of me, but, um, and he still put up the strikeouts that he put up. So I'm not sure. I think the only thing with, with Burns, I think Cole for me is kind of by himself up there. I think the only question for me with Burns, you know, a little bit is just, how does the change in the schedule, you know, the less balanced, uh, the more balanced schedule, like how does that impact him a little bit? But it's not enough to to kind of kick him out of that, that th- those two right there. I think they they both like across the board have very few questions for me, despite some struggles over periods of time last year. And if you, if, if they hadn't been using
1: those Aaron judge home run balls in the second half, <sighs> who knows, you know,
2: I mean, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because maybe this is a buy. This is the ultimate buying opportunity on Garrett Cole. I mean, everybody was like thinking, like, oh my god, like, what does this mean for Judge? Like, do we put an asterisk by him? Um, You know, the the clear answer being absolutely. Um, But I was just thinking the whole time, like, no wonder why Garrett Cole in the in the year of the dead end ball had the highest home run per fly ball rate of his entire career. I mean, like the dude struck out. You know, the dude struck out 257 batters last year. You know, there was only ten pitchers that struck out more than 200. But him and Burns, you know, with Rodon and and Nola and Cease, kind of a little bit behind them, were kind of by themselves there. And I think one thing too is like that strikeout differential is not is not minuscule. Like it seems like it, but we've all been in those leagues. Like when you look at the actual, you know, SGP of like how, my, how, many, how many Ks impacts like going up or down one uh, rung in the standings, it's not that much. And so the difference between a guy like Cole and some of those other elite aces versus the guys that give you 180 strikeouts is is pretty significant. So I believe, I believe that uh, Garrett Cole's, I don't know what the opposite of an asterisk is, but <laughs> that should go on Garrett Cole's season last year. Just like, just think about how much better this dude would have been. If they weren't trying to get Aaron Judge the home run record, <laughs> I know. I and it
1: only occurred to me when you when you mentioned the the home runs with him. Um, but yeah, no. I, I mean, I think that's it's interesting. And you know, Garrett Cole, an ERA north of three two in back to back seasons. Um, take it for what whatever you want, but three uh, nineteen projection from Steamer. If you're taking Garrett Cole, if, if you're the first person in your in your draft to take a pitcher and you take Garrett Cole and he has an ERA over 3.2 again, but pitches the the innings you're looking for, is that fine with you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is I think it is fine. Um, I mean it's not ideal obviously, but um, the 102 whip is a really solid number there uh, that he had last year. The whip is always good. I mean, like, look at the strikeout minus walk rate twenty six point one percent. That was best in the league, tied with Carlos Rodon. But um, you know, throwing throwing you you twenty two more innings um, and doing that. So yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing the thing for me is like the ERA. Like, you want everything to be really good, but you're paying for a lot of things. You're paying for volume. You're paying you know, volume just in terms of innings and like the impact that his ratios have. You're paying for the K's, you're paying for the whip, you're paying for the ERA. Um, I can't remember how, how many wins did Cole end up with last year. 13. I don't even have it on my, on my 13. So you're like, you're a little disappointed in that. Like when you combine that in the ERA, you're kind of like, eh, I haven't looked at the player Raider. I'm assuming that he was one of the best pitchers last year. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's totally fine. Like you don't need him to be the best pitcher every single year for it to be a good draft pick. When you draft a pitcher that high, just like when you draft a hitter that high, there are very few guys that are going to return value. But if you get what you were trying to buy, like really the only guy who was there was two guys that were really a major bust in among the kind of aces last year. There was Bueller who was injured, but even his bust season was like a four ERA with a one, two, five whip, right? Not going to destroy you. Just like that really bad Nola season a couple of years ago where he ended up with like a three, nine ERA, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That's part of what you're buying too, is the very small percentage chance that somebody becomes a Lucas Giolito and is like absolutely awful being drafted in the first two rounds.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the Giolito year from last year, uh, that's, a, that's, tough to, that's tough to top. And I mean, we could go four years without a pitcher with a second-round ADP uh, or late first-round ADP, uh, coming close to that probably. Um, so is the gap between Cole and Burns to you just – is it more – is it like track record and then a little bit of the, the Brewers schedule mixed in?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's also the wins. I know that we like to think that wins are very, um, uh, very lucky and they certainly are, but I do think that teams that win more games get more wins, especially teams that win more games and guys that go deeper into games. And so I think that for me, there's enough of an edge there for Cole where he's above Burns. Um, that that I think for those reasons I, I'd be willing to take Cole above Burns. And that's not to say like I'd be disappointed disappointed getting Burns. I mean, I think he's um he's a phenomenal pitcher. So your brewers yeah. should just maybe spend a little bit of money well, and get an offense.
1: Oh man, I you you don't understand how fun it is to build a team without spending money. Uh that's that's what's really fun is is not spending money and uh trying to outsmart everyone. Um, it's the creativity that we as fans live for (laughs) there's nothing more uh exciting to me than when the front office finds a a player off waivers that they can get like 150 plate appearances out of the next year um so look i'm very pro talking about targeting pitcher wins here uh rob silver brought this up at uh first pitch it's something that i i think i've I've been doing almost subconsciously, uh, but I mean, you, you want to draft starting pitchers on good teams whenever possible um, for other reasons than just the wins. But I mean, the wins are, are huge. I mean, it's, it's hard to make up wins. Um, the next group of guys we have are going so Burns and Cole were going early second. Uh, Sandy Alcantara and Jacob DeGrom are going late second. Uh, Alcantara with a min of 23, max of 34. DeGrom, a min of 19, max of 38 in these eight drafts since uh Thanksgiving. And uh, Phil Dousseau, uh was was quick to, to pour cold water on uh, Sandy Alcantara in the second. Uh, I, I, you could tell just by that spread on Degrom, nineteen to thirty-eight, that he's going to be divisive once again. Uh, how in line with your sort of personal um, evaluations is this um, data on ADP with Alcantara and Degrom as three and four?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I, I believe, I believe in the in the in Sandy's ratios. You know, I think like, you know, we can, I mean, it's, it's a well-traveled path of talking about like, you know, that, um, you know, I think, I think the, the ERA estimators do a poor job of predicting what he's going to do. And I think that um, we also know that he's not striking out as many guys as some of these elite uh, elite level guys are. And I, and I should say per inning, right. Because he's throwing that volume. I think what resonates uh, re- what resonates with me, because I listened to your conversation with Phil was his point about how kind of everything went right for Sandy this year. And when things don't always go right, it's not just the ERA goes up a little bit. The whip goes up a little bit. Maybe you lose a win here or there, but it's also fewer innings. And so the volume isn't quite what it needs to be. And that's, I think when the K's hit you a little bit more, Um, you know, it's hard to project somebody for 220 innings, innings again, Um, That being said, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fine. I also think the Marlins are going to be really bad, Um, you know, like offensively, they're going to be pretty bad. And so I think I'd, I'd side with Phil in some respects, you know, in terms of steering clear of Sandy, I think with DeGrom, I mean, the one, the one thing about DeGrom is he's so good, you know, that you don't need the volume. You know, you don't necessarily like you want the volume and it's possible you get the volume, but even last year in whatever, 65 innings, like he was so good that he still has, you know, just an incredible impact on what your ratios can be. And we saw that, you know, I think it was two years ago when he he had the sub two ERA where, um, yeah, where, I mean, like you didn't need him for that long. And a lot of the teams that did really well, had him during that stretch and you can always move on from him if he gets injured and it's a longer term thing. So I think, again, that's just a question of risk and and we've kind of, you know, a lot of people have talked about it and it's just a matter of how confident you are in doing that. Um, and that might be like, he might actually be a good pocket ace guy in the sense that like you get a call where you feel pretty confident that you're going to get that, you know, you again, 200 innings, he's got to stay healthy for 32 starts, but like, He's, he's consistently not gotten injured significantly. So you grab him and you grab a DeGrom, you lock in those ratios, you're hoping you get the volume, but at least you're hoping you get whatever, 300 innings um, of just high quality baseball. And then I think, you know, and then he's also in a new context with the Rangers. So that it'll be interesting to see how that functions. I tend to think the, Ra- the Rangers coaching staff is pretty good, both from a pitching st- standpoint and a hitting standpoint. Like they're one of those staffs that just seems like they're they're pretty astute. I don't think you can get any more than the Mets did from him. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he navigates a new landscape, a new division, you know, and, and it's a pretty good division um, at that now. So
1: in addition to being known for pocket aces, I, I think of you as the original JT Realmuto stan. And I had you on last year to break down catchers. Uh, oh, oh and I broke it down, James. You broke it down, and uh, and we'll we'll be talking catchers uh with uh, some some people you're familiar with uh, next week, I believe. Uh, but that conversation I had with you, I I think probably impacted the fact that last year was by far the most exposure I've had to JTR, and uh, that was that was great. Uh, so I thank you for that. Feels great, doesn't it? I mean, like. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it was a blast, uh, and I bring him up, and I'm al- I'll also throw Dalton Varsho into this mix here because uh, there, he's been a, a hot topic since the the trade to Toronto. Uh, but our, if you're sitting at the you know late second round, and uh, obviously Cole and Burns are gone, are you going JTR slash show, basically whoever your your top catcher is? Or are you going ace late second round with the way ADP huh. currently
2: is? JTR and Varsho is that a possibility, uh, or that, that's is a possibility? That just something we're throwing no, out the window.
1: Let's let's call that let's call that a a slight possibility because I, I don't think in any high money league or I don't think I honestly don't think JTR is there at pick thirty in too many high money leagues. And Varsho, who knows where his ADP is going to settle? But I think maybe if you if you had like the 27th pick 28th pick you might be able to get both of them
2: yeah um i would yeah i've drafted jtr in the second round before um at least i think so it may have been the early third um a few years ago i think jtr and 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 varsho are unique because of the profile that they provide you know with the steals um i think that makes them super interesting because because everybody else drafting a catcher will be drafting them generally like there are catchers that will get you know they're five to whatever and we don't know how the stolen base rules are going to impact so maybe better base runners will get more and we'll we'll kind of learn that but um everybody else when they're drafting there's catchers like if you think about the 14 positions and you're like okay I'm drafting two catchers that aren't going to get me any steals. I'm drafting first base where, you know, probably not going to get any steals. Drafting third base, unless I get Jose Ramirez, probably not getting any steals. You know, my corner infield, it might be hard to get steals. Again, like these are broad generalizations. There's obviously, you know, caveats that apply. And so then you're like, okay, so I'm trying to get all these steals from second base, shortstop, middle infield, and my five outfield positions in util, right? So you're really kind of restricting yourself. And especially if you go early heavy with the starting pitching, you know, grabbing one or two of those catchers, either one of them, and let's say, let's just say for the sake of projection, you're projecting them for 15 steals, you know, it just means that you have a little bit more flexibility as you construct that roster to have, you know, um, on where you get the steals. You're probably not going to get one of the super elite guys. You know, maybe you can get a super elite steals guy you know, later on that you draft, um, but it's not going to come with the power and the other things that you're going to get earlier. So I just think that like what you're, what you in a lot of ways are trying to do is create flexibility for yourself as the draft unfolds to adapt and to recognize that you are you may not have that anchor or two that other teams are going to have, bec- but but you have the anchor and the pitching that you did. So I actually think it's a really, it's a nice strategy that complements itself well. I think the only challenge being like the batting average pieces you know, JTR, decent batting average, you know, Varsho not going to get there. Maybe he benefits a little bit from the shift as well. Um, but I like both of them. I think that they were, I think, you know, I had Varsho in a, in a few places last year. And, and I think it's one of those situations where the projections oftentimes, at least for him last year, were underselling what he was going to do if he was going to play virtually every day. And, and that's where the value differentiation came from. He was actually pretty much in line with, what projections thought he was going to do if you extrapolated it out to the plate appearances that he ended up getting. So I think it's a really, I I love, I love that pick Um, whether or not I'm going to do it. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I think, I think it's nice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the batting average aspect, obviously you're grading it on sort of a curve where you're, you know, the batting average you get from JTR or the batting average you hope to get from him maybe isn't, you know, it's, you're not drafting Luis Arias, but relative to whichever catcher you'd get in the tenth round, it's an awesome batting average. Yeah, um, that's a so that's I mean, a that's a great point. Um, so we had Alcantara, Degrom, late second. We've got Dylan C. Spencer Strider, early third, and in these eight drafts since Thanksgiving, Burns, Cole, Sandy, Degrom, and Cease. Are the only five starting pitchers to be taken in the first two rounds. Uh, so Strider hasn't been taken uh, in the second yet, uh, or in the in these recent DCs. Uh, does I mean the C Strider thing? I think is is a great pairing because they both are just kind of dominant two pitch high K guys. Uh, do you have any? I mean, is is early third? Has Strider been pushed up? enough has he been pushed up too much um
2: do you have anything to add on cease uh strider is a tough one because i think like he kind of did something that nobody's i mean he was just maybe the best rookie pitcher ever i mean like just absolutely i mean there's probably something that was better but he was incredible and so the projections love him you know he has the arm fatigue or the arm injury the shoulder issue at the end of last year doesn't pitch as effectively, you know, how much do you factor that in? So again, I think it's like a a question of kind of risk tolerance for me. I'm, I'm probably not going there yet. Um, Maybe that's a mistake because pitch, pitch by pitch, you know, like he's, he's absolutely incredible, but I generally want to see it a little bit more. Uh, I'm actually kind of out on cease. I'm not that interested this year. I was all in on cease last year. I was drafting him. I think I drafted him in the late third round at least once. Um, you know, we've got a little bit more to look at. I just, the walk rate is high. The BABIP was low last year. You know, there's some luck factors, you know, that go into it, you know, like whether it's, um, you know, uh, I can't remember what the stat was. I think I was looking at uh, BABIP, um with runners in scoring position. And Cease is like, Cease and Manoa are like one, two in terms of like guys with high volume that are probably did the best, the quote unquote best last year with having suppressing Babbitt. Now it's possible that there's, there's some skill in there, but I just feel like there's too many runners on base for Cease where things can go, uh, wrong quickly. And so I just, I just can't, I, I'm not there I'm not there now with kind of what I know. I also don't know how good the White Sox um, are going to be. And and by that, I mean the White Sox are not going to be good. Um, so I'm kind of not that interested in this, in this range. Uh, Strider's more interesting to me than Cease is um, because I think he's a better pitcher and I think the skills are better and the walk rate's better and all that jazz, but I'm probably not as interested in either one. So now we're going to get to the mid third.
1: And this is why this is kind of where it starts to really become clear why I'm not interested in any of those six pitchers we've talked about where they're currently going. Uh, I'd probably be most interested in Burns Cole early second out of these three sort of groupings we've had. Uh, but Shane McClanahan goes mid third and then Woodruff and Aaron Nola. Um, I, I would take Nola and Woodruff over a contra de gram and strider personally. Um, so it just makes no sense to me to take those guys late second. You know, if it's early third, I have to take them there or I'm not getting them at all, but, um, and I'm I'm off McClanahan just just due to the the injury at the end of the year. I just I he could be totally fine in spring training and maybe I, I get back in. But I just I thought it was too uh, too iffy the way that he ended the year from a health standpoint um, and just the way the injury happened, the way he kind of looked when it happened. I, I just don't want him in the third. But Nolan Woodruff, I would love it if if one of those guys was my SP one. I know they won't be going in the mid third and late March, but but what do you say about uh, those three guys?
2: Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you on everything that you said. I think you articulate it really well. I mean, the thing is, um, you know, yeah, McClanahan. I'm not, I'm not really interested in as well. I think it's a similar thing to Strider where it's like, man, the, they haven't done it long enough. And, the health is enough of a, of a question mark. I mean, if they come back again in spring training, you always got to look at spring training, look yep. at the velo, look at how the guys are doing that, that should impact you and <laughs> your assessment of their health. But for right now, given the information that we have right now, um, that's how I feel about McClanahan and Strider as well. Um, I agree on Nola. I mean, I think Nola from just like a, a strictly skills standpoint, he doesn't do it like most traditional pitchers do where the swinging strike rate is elite, you know, but he has an elite CSW. He gets a lot of called, called um, strikes, you know, and then I think there's actually, you know, if you just look at his K minus walk rate, especially that walk rate from the past few years, it's just so low, you know, he does have a propensity like two years ago, he just kept on like having that one inning where he blows up, you know, Um, he does have that higher BABIP. Like that's been, that's been true now for, you know, a little bit, but there's also the possibility that that of, of, a little bit of regression there too. And that what we saw from Nola last year, they're, they're actually, I could see him replicating what he did and actually having better ratios. Um, uh, last year, he's also got the higher ground ball rate. He's got the pitch mix. I think that's really interesting as well. So I don't mind um, Nola at all. And I also don't mind the shout. I mean, last year, again, like, Uh, Woodruff was going in the first round, you know, Nola was going early in the second, I think early to mid in middle in the second. And again, you need to take the market into, into the equation, but given the order of pitching, I'm not sure why these guys have dropped the way that they have like Woodruff. I think, I mean, Scherzer was up there last year and I'm probably forgetting somebody else who was up there, you know? Um, but Woodruff was going very clearly in the first 11 picks essentially, um, and I don't know if he's done anything. There's obviously the injury, but if I remember correctly, it was kind of a, it was kind of a fluke injury, it's, wasn't it? It's, it was.
1: It's such a, the injury with Woodruff is such a non worrisome thing to me. Um, it was something to do with like his, uh, gosh, I don't, wanna, I don't want to It's like, he was like it, numb. It was, in it was, his ankle it was numb. Something? It was some sort of numbness thing and he like fixed it. And then he was just, the woodruff you thought you were getting you didn't get the return on investment because of the time you missed and the bad starts that came before the time you missed but if he had just pitched the way he did after coming back you would have been really happy with everything
2: yeah oh yeah i mean and even the full the full line for the year i mean it's not a it's not i mean it's not the volume that you wanted but it's 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 what you wanted um yeah i i, I don't fully understand i don't fully understand that and i think you know, you got to think that Philly's offense, they don't have Harper, but it's going to be a really good offense. I think Woodruff, that's the only question that might be why I have Nola ahead of Woodruff um, right there because of that. But again, I think they're i think they're both really good pitchers. I also think that Nola from a volume standpoint, you know, Woodruff hasn't really done that full yeah. volume, um, whereas Nola has. Like, I'd think- rather have Woodruff as a two than I would as a one. So. Yeah, I think the that's the
1: best thing about NOLA is just that the track record of volume. Uh, I, I fear the Babbitt might not be coming down uh, with Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, Nick Castellanos and Alec Boehm expected to play in the field every day. Um So we'll see about that, but it's true. I like him I, so much that I just don't even, it's, you know, third round, sign me up all day. Um, the last guy we have going in the third round, Justin Verlander, who's going basically at the end of the third round. Um, I don't I don't really know what to say about Verlander. I thought he was a great value last year. I don't love the value this year, um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he just repeated what he did last year. Uh, I don't know. Do you got anything to add to that?
2: yeah, not too much. I mean, you always have to factor in kind of the new environment, but he is going to a positive uh, pitching environment. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's just smoking mirrors with Furlander. He just does it, you know, all the time. like, I don't know, I don't I don't exactly know, right? Like it's like it's just like his swinging strike rate was 11.6 percent, which is like, yeah, <laughs> fine. His CSW was 26.5 percent, which is blah like he had the 240 Babbitt, but he's also a super high fly ball pitcher. And if the ball stays the way it is in the park that he's in, like he's going to be successful. He doesn't walk guys. So like, there's not a lot of people on base, but, um, you know, and he's still managing to strike out like a decent number of people. He'll probably get a lot of wins because, you know, not only are the Mets really good offensively, but they also have a incredible bullpen as well so i can't really knock it but again like because of the volume issue i'd want him as kind of a a two more than i would want him as my one
1: yeah and and just personally i i there are guys that are going in the fourth round and even the there are guys in the fourth round i like more than verlander and there are guys going in the fifth round i like at least as much as verlander so that's just kind of why i'm not really looking there and that's kind of end of the third round is a, is a great kind of closer catcher spot um, or second base even. Um, But if we just kind of look, so that's through three rounds. Uh, I mean, the starting pitchers are going to get pushed up in mid to late March. Um, I'm kind of guessing that you're going to see maybe Francisco Lindor Uh, maybe Luis Robert, uh, certainly the, you know, Matt Olson types probably get pushed down to make room for them, but I don't know. I mean, does, who stands out to you as, as a position player or closer and, and maybe, you know, maybe Hendricks and Romano aren't quite going third round once we get to fab leagues, um. But is there sort of an obvious group of players that aren't starting pitchers you see getting pushed down
2: to make room for these starting pitchers moving up? That's a really good question. I mean, I think, I think what will probably happen is there will be situations where there are either injuries or we get a little bit more clarity on on kind of playing sit, playing playing time situations um, where guys may shift around. I think you oftentimes see like like nolan arenado is going at pick you know 40 um which yep. i know he had a really good season last year but you know, there's not a lot of speed and you know the batting average is all right but there's not know, a lot of speed eh and there's not a lot of speed there's <laughs> not a lot of speed I, okay wow he stole five bases last year i uh, def- definitely would not have guessed that but um, no i mean he, yeah like i mean it's just so tough because like You know, it's so hard to get a grasp on the landscape because it shifted so much. Like there's so much information. There's so much uncertainty about like player values where it's like I could say like Matt Olson where I'm like, "Ah, I feel like Matt Olson there just doesn't make the same level of of sense to me as as some other guys. But people always get Matt Olson like that high up. And it's not bad if he if he does kind of like what he's been doing. So, well, it's not bad if you if he does what he did in twenty twenty
1: it's bad if he does what he
2: did in any of the other years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you. yeah, I, I don't disagree or, with you at 2021, all. So like,
1: 2021, I should say. Sorry.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is, it is hard, but it's also just like, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, and again, like I haven't done any drafts, so I really need to, to gain more of an acute awareness for like these decision points and, how they impact them. Because I know that the narrative, in addition to the like overabundance of pitching is also that more and more guys are going to platoons. It's harder to get these everyday at bats that can actually produce. Um, The overall run environment has decreased dramatically. And, you know, but like intuitively we should say like, wait a second. So like, because of the run environment, like pitchers are worth less, but all of a sudden like hitters are, are worth more, even though like they're also being impacted, like the overall number that you need is, is going down. So it just feels like there's been like kind of an overcorrection against pitching and towards hitting. And maybe we start to see that as we get into the main shift a little bit. I think it's also like one of those situations where drafting in a DC and you, uh, you pointed to this earlier, like, does it impact like the price point where people are drafting at where again, like I think in the main event leagues, like, there are certain tiers like, and that we're talking about. Right. And I think it's at the kind of, it's at the edge of those tiers, right? The gray area between those tiers where you, where you'll start to see people jump up because people are worried about getting are missing out on that, those, that group of, that group of people. Um, you know, that's, that I think is where you start to sh- shift it. It's not like a sea change necessarily, but it's one of those things where there's that clear tier. And so this guy starts getting lumped into this tier. And then all of a sudden you've got these three guys clumped together and one's clearly better, and so the next guy wants to grab them. And then the ADP starts to shift, and that starts moving everything up. So, again, we don't know to what extent it will happen, but um, it will be fascinating to watch. And then what we'll do, James, me and you, we'll just do the pocket aces. And then as everybody's like, oh, my God, all these terrible starting pitchers that are going to be my SP1s, we'll just be like, oh, man, look at all these great hitters falling. We're just going to pick them up after JTR and, and Bar Show.
1: Right. No, it's a, it's a perfect plan. Um, I think, uh, it's, it's, and you laid it out. Well, uh, Phil kind of touched on this last week too, but it's not even, you know, I think there are definitely some drafters in these drafts who would have no problem taking Cole or Burns in the middle of the first or DeGrom or Strider middle of the second or whatever. But they just know what the ADP is, so they're not gonna just be like, "Well, I've got him as a you know mid first round guy, so that's where I'm taking him." But once the other drafts start and it becomes clear that this is where they're going, then it just it'll be kind of a a big shift, uh, like you're alluding to there. Um, but I I think other you know really, you know, for me like Luis Robert isn't a top three round guy. Uh, Olsen isn't a top three round guy. Arnado probably isn't a top three round guy. Um, there just aren't, there aren't a ton of guys that I would say aren't top three round guys that are going in the top three rounds right now. So uh,
2: that is going to be very fascinating to see how it plays out. There's also going to be guys that pitch in spring training and look great or have injury concerns like Zach Wheeler. Like, I, mean, I don't know what Zach Wheeler did last year to, you know, deserve getting dropped you know 20 spots but if he looked really good in spring training and the velos there and there aren't the same arm issues like i mean man he's he he jumps ahead of quite a few of these guys for me you know and so i think there's a couple situations like that i mean we always have questions about carlos rodon you know but he just threw 170 innings and and it doesn't take as much volume to get to the same strikeout rate with him we know why he's gotten a lot better his velo has increased dramatically the skills back everything up. He's now on a very good offense. And while we think that Yankee stadium is like a hitter's paradise, I mean, it's, it's okay for some home run hitters, but generally it's a, it's a pitcher's park to kind of a mediocre hitter's park. And so that's not as big of a drop as, as you would have expected either. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all, all kind of shakes out. Um, you know, Bieber was going so much higher before and he had a great season, you know, like (laughs) Uh Urias had, you know, a, a great season last year again, and he was going, you know, 20, 30 picks in front of where he's going right now. So it'll be really interesting to see how it all shakes out for sure. Yeah,
1: you, you touched on a bunch of the guys that are currently going mid-fourth. Uh, Rodon, Scherzer, Urias, uh, Wheeler and Bieber to me stand out as, you know, again, like I love Woodruff and Nola mid-third. I love Wheeler and Bieber mid-fourth. I know they're not going to be going there uh, when the Fab League start drafting and stuff, but, um, yeah, I, I would probably have Wheeler and Bieber in my top seven or eight starting pitchers, and they're going probably outside the top ten. Um, and, you know, I think this, when we kind of get to the end of this, this mid-fourth here, it, it kind of if all the guys we've talked about or, or say all, but one, maybe uh, are healthy in late March, it's just going to be fascinating. But, you know, you have um, super old guys like Scherzer and Verlander who could break down and spring training. You have the Rodon, McClanahan, you know, Strider types that, you know, it wouldn't be shocking if they got injured in spring training. Um, so it's just so much is going to happen in spring training. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very. Uh, I wish I could ignore 95% of stuff that happens in spring training, but uh, you know, you have to be paying attention to the health of of certain pitchers um, and the velocities and stuff like that, for sure. Yeah. Health and velo mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and then mid to late, Fifth round, uh, we got Kevin Gaussman, uh, min of 59, max of 71. Another great buy, in my opinion. You got Alec Manoa, uh, who I I know everyone, uh, all the smart people hate Alec Manoa. Um, you know, the the projection systems hate Alec Manoa. And I'm just hoping that he starts going in like the late sixth or mid seventh come main event time. Um, but I, I I wouldn't take him over. Kevin Gaussman or Luis Castillo, who's actually, Castillo might be my favorite value on the board right now on the starting pitching side. Uh, Mid to late sixth round is his average spot. Uh, Min is 62, Max is 75. I mean, wasn't that long ago that Castillo was getting drafted in the second round, and that was when he was pitching in Great American Ballpark. So um, I I love the price on him. Uh, Max Fried, Christian Javier, Zach Gallen. also love the price on Gallen there. Uh, So those guys are all going mid to late fifth round. And then we just have a big kind of cluster of guys going in the sixth to the 10th round. Um, Is is there, are there certain sort of pockets here that we've touched on where you just kind of look at it? I know you're not going to do any drafts for a while, but are there certain pockets that you'd be kind of attacking um, if you were doing drafts right now where the value really kind of stands out?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that mid fourth group that you mentioned, I think that there's a lot of guys in there that I think are pretty nice. So like, you know, if you want to grab one guy early on, like, again, if you're going early pitching and it's not for everybody, but if you want to re- grab one, one guy early on, you know, like let's say you start with Cole and then your SP two is, a Wheeler or a Bieber or a Rodon, you know, um, even, even Urius, even though like the challenge for me always is, is like, I'm very skill based, like in the way that I analyze and look at players. So it's really difficult for me to buy in on a player who doesn't do that because it's almost like the opposite of what I, how I think the world should work. But there are certain players that like have been able to show that they don't necessarily need to have the same level of skill um, and can still be incredibly successful in, in certain ways, you know? So like a where, you know, the ERA, the whip are all great. And somehow, you know, the strikeouts aren't going to be that great, but he manages to kind of put it together. So I think those guys, I do, you know, I'm with you on Gaussman. Um, you know, I think Freed has done, done enough. Again, you're not getting the strikeouts, but, um, Javier's really interesting, uh, gallon you mentioned. And then I think those six through 10 guys, um, you know, everybody loves like Nick Lodolo, those guys, I'd I'd be hesitant to go after like, you know, some of the darlings from last year. Um, you know, but there are some really good ones. I mean, Tristan McKenzie is, is really good if you look at like the underlying metrics that he had and he was still able to be incredibly successful despite giving up a, a crap ton of home runs. Um, so I I I don't know if I've done enough analysis to really give you like a a huge clue on those but there's certainly very interesting players. I mean, Lazardo's really interesting, Joe Ryan, I think it could be argued that he was actually unlucky last year with the way that some of his starts um shook out and and you know, he was impressive. So I I think there are reasons that you can um I think there are reasons you can fall in love with certain guys, but I can guarantee you that like in that, like, you know, mid late fifth to sixth to 10th round, some of the worst pitchers of the year are probably going to come out of there. And the question is just going to be, are we able to determine who those guys are, you know, ahead of time or not? And so, just quickly on uh, Urias,
1: uh, I think you you have to you have to stay true to yourself, and um, I think you should keep fading him because what you said kind of reminded me of one of my least favorite mistakes I've made in recent years was going from just always fading with Merrifield to not fading Whit Merrifield last year, and it's just way more painful to be wrong about a player that you knew wasn't good in the first place (laughs) Um, or wasn't as good as, you know, whatever he'd done in past seasons. So just, you know, for your sanity, I would recommend just letting, let Vlad Sedler take serious and yeah. Okay. Um,
2: Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a a stranger to shame, James. I, (laughs) I believe very strongly in owning up to my mistakes and my failures Publicly. Yes. so Yes, you uh, do. Yeah. And, I mean, I'll be sure and, to draft Urias just so I can go on that.
1: What do you think of uh, Vlad Guerrero's steamer projection, by the way? Oh.
2: <laughs> Total BS, is what it is. <laughs> I, I did um, a whole rant about how he's the worst possible player you could draft right now. Um,
1: <laughs> none, how, none of the smart people I know are drafting Vlad Guerrero right now in, in early drafts.
2: Um, probably a mistake.
1: I, I, uh, I joking, but, um, (laughs) so, uh, of that six to 10 group, um, I'll throw out, I'm just going to give you a couple of my favorites. Um, and we'll see if you have any thoughts. So I would, I've never been on this guy necessarily, but I think at the, at the cost in the six to 10 round, and, and I'm almost, I'm going to kind of frame these as sort of a, I didn't go pocket aces and now I got to make up for it. Right. Um, and now
2: I'm desperate. I'm going to go volume <laughs> over quality. Got it. <laughs> So
1: you, you laid that out perfectly for the, the first guy I'm going to talk about. Um, you might even be able to guess it, but uh, Robbie Ray, um, you know, he's, he finished seventh in strikeouts last year and uh, obviously nowhere near as good as he was the year before. Um, I could see him being a, a little bit better, uh, than he was last year from a ratio standpoint. But if you've, if you've taken an ACE closer, like let's say you got uh class a or Diaz or Hendricks or something, and then Robbie Ray is your SP two. I, I don't hate it. Uh, because you are at least getting the volume of strikeouts theoretically. And I think the team context is good enough to get to double digit wins. Uh, What's see.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't hate that either. Um, you know, I uh, just thinking about like Ray, like the, the challenge I think with Robbie Ray has always been the walk rate. And mm-hmm. while he wasn't, he wasn't as good as he was la- uh, two years ago last year he still had his walk rate was reasonable slightly above league average when you combine that with kind of the strikeout the context that you mentioned you know solid defense quality team decent ballpark although it is actually like one of it is a little homer friendly um, surprisingly um, at least the last time I think I looked at at some of the um, the park factors Um, I think I think that I can see why he would be good for the, exactly the reasons that you said, like, maybe you have Robbie Ray as your SP two. And then as your SP three, you grab somebody who maybe who you feel good about their ratios. You know, let's say like, uh, you know, I don't want to pick somebody who's, who's ahead of him. Um, well, I mean, like, like, yeah, like a, like a Joe Ryan or a Luis Garcia or somebody like that, where maybe you feel a little bit better about, you know, kind of the ratios or a Nestor Cortez who, you know, doesn't walk a lot of guys, Um, you know, and you kind of combine those. I think you have to think about how your pitchers kind of work together, especially when you take somebody like Ray, where kind of, you know, you know that the ratios may not necessarily be as strong as they as they were, but, you know, he brings you that volume in those Ks that you can't really bank on as much in that area of the draft.
1: So Rotation
2: construction. The,
1: yes. I looked up the park factors and uh, T-Mobile Park, uh, about middle of the pack for home runs last year, but okay. that's that's probably still worse than people would guess, right? Like, you, you think of Seattle as probably like a bottom 10 park so middle of the pack is it's fine but um so then the the other pitcher i want to bring up here uh and i like it i like a decent amount of the guys going here and i dislike a decent amount of them as well but uh Luis severino uh who used to be thought of as an ace right and uh obviously coming back from tommy john uh, I think when he got put on the 60-day IL last year, I believe that's right, um, he was he was really pissed because he knew he wasn't that badly hurt. Um, and I think it was just a way of managing his innings. Um, so I'm not as concerned about durability issues with Severino, uh, in, including the postseason. He got up to 113 innings last year. So you're not you're not getting 200, you're not getting 180, uh, but I think you can get you know 160, 170, if, uh, if he has kind of good health luck, and you know it's it's a good situation to get wins. I think the ratios are really pretty stellar for this range, and the the combination of ratios plus strikeout upside is pretty stellar for this range. Uh, and I think he could almost be kind of a shane bieber type where a year from now he's getting drafted where bieber's getting drafted this year um what do you think about severino
2: i've got to like remove my previous severino bias that i had uh, because i had him that one year that he just like got totally um he got babbitt in the second half of the year just repeatedly um yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. Like I'm looking at him. I mean, you know, he got lucky with the BABIP. This swinging strike rate is very solid. Um, all of the metrics related to walks are, are, are decent, you know, like the O swing you'd like to see a little bit higher, you know, slightly better than league average. He's not dominating a ton in the zone, but better than league average for cer for sure. So I think like generally like better than league average, but um, you know, I don't I don't mind like kind of what the steamer projection has a little bit. You know, he did get he did get a little lucky with both the that babip and I think the strand rate a little bit, but he also had a three eighteen ERA. So I think like mid threes ERA seems seems reasonable when those things if those things regress. And it also depends on whether like they have the Aaron Judge ball still. You know, like if they have the Aaron Judge ball, then that one point two four home runs per nine is might just skyrocket they might want to get judged like 75 i mean they have to get him. (laughs) don't they have to get him to do they have to get him to i should know this like 74 is 73 the record yeah 73 is the record yeah 73 is the record so they need to get him to 74 so they're really going to need to juice that ball now that i'm thinking about it you should probably stay away from all the yankees pitchers this is tough because it's it's
1: uh I mean, this is just the position that baseball has put us in. We we don't know what ball we're getting. We're sit we're sitting here trying to guess whether we're getting the Aaron Judge ball or not. Uh, it might be a massive buying opportunity on on Yankees pitchers, but um, maybe it's just a a reason to reinvest in Judge uh, with with seventy five on the mind or seventy four on the mind. So, uh, Rob Manfred, I know he he listens, so um, hopefully he can let us know um, for sure.
2: On so. On our- on 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 my pod we talked about um you know like how there's asterisks there's um there's also those little like lines with crosses do you know what I'm talking about like on footnotes yeah yeah and they're actually called I looked it up they're actually called daggers so that's <laughs> where we're referring to all the players where you're like oh they could be really good if like the rule changes like work out for them or not like that uncertainty is called like the daggers that we put on that we put on players so all the all the Yankees. Like Gleyber Torres, is he really a 24 home run hitter? Maybe with the Aaron judge ball, but
1: we'll see. And, uh, yeah, we'll just put the dagger next to every lefty first baseman who's slow. Um, for sure.
2: <laughs> we'll just call uh, them daggers, you know, just like to shorten it up.
1: The, the dagger tier of first baseman with Rizzo <laughs> and Rowdy Teles, And, um, yeah, I love it. Uh, All right, uh, let's close things out here with the ADP segment. Um, We're going to be doing 17th round ADP this week, and this is for all NFBC draft champions, which is draft and hold five by five with batting average. All the draft champions have drafted so far this season. Uh, Last week we did 16th round ADP. Uh, Toby and I will each give one player who's going in the 17th round who we like and one player who's going in the 17th round who we do not like uh, and, and probably won't be drafting anywhere. Uh, the players to choose from are Lourdes Gurriel, Nathan Ivaldi, Gavin Lux, Brian De La Cruz, Alex Cobb, Jordan Walker, Andrew Benintendi, Yasmani Grandal, Kyle Finnegan, Jorge Lopez, Tyler Anderson, Jared Kelnick, Jameson Tyon, Michael Kopech, and Luis Hifo. So, Toby. Fifteen players there. Who
2: are you buying in the seventeenth round? I'm gonna go back to the well. I'm gonna I'm gonna be drafting Andrew Benintendi.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Benintendo. You- <laughs> um, I uh, I think when I look at Benintendi's profile, like I, I love the landing space. Uh, I haven't looked at it, but I'm sure that the White Sox Statcast home run. Um. Park Factor is better than the Royals' Park Factor. Um, Last year, Benintendi only hit five home runs. He had 20 barrels. So only a quarter of his barrels went for home runs. Typically, about 60% um, of hitters' barrels go for home runs. So just in looking at that, you're looking at maybe a 12-home run guy as opposed to a five-home run guy. You're looking at somebody who will also add in a little bit in terms of speed. And then I think most importantly um, you know, you have the batting average, um, as well. So I think he hits in a decent spot in the white Sox order. I think he steals 10 bases. I think he hits, let's be generous and give him 15 home runs with, uh, a, a, a really good, um, with a really good batting average. And I think that that's, that's a really nice profile, I think, um, in the 17th round.
1: Yeah, and it, it just happened to work out this way. You and I had been messaging about uh, Benintendi. I think like a month ago
2: um, oh, about him being the Brewers outfielder, maybe. <laughs> I I forget
1: exactly what it was, but you were you were pro Benintendi then, and you're pro Benintendi now, and that was when he was a free agent. So, um, yeah, I, I not surprised at all. Glad I got to give you a chance to to make the case there for Benintendi. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Alex Cobb. Uh I just think he's just a really steady, you know, SP five, whatever. Uh I think he he's he can get you double digit wins. He's gonna strike out over a batter per inning and uh ratios are gonna be fine. I mean the whip's not gonna be amazing, but I think he's just it's a it's a steady kind of middle of your fantasy rotation pitcher here. Um so, I'll go with Cobb. Uh who are you not drafting? Uh, to me there's there's a lot of options to choose from here but um, <laughs> I'm just skipping
2: the whole round. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. do that. Um yeah. I'm I'm okay. I'm going to I'm going to go with a guy that I've had in the past who's actually been helpful for me. Um but I'm going to I'm going to stay away from Kyle Finnegan. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I think there's a, like you mentioned, there's a lot of possibilities here. Um, You know, Lourdes Guriel, like in that, in the outfield and and plate appearances and things like that. But Kyle Finnegan, I just don't, you know, he's a, he throws the fastball and like, that's the only thing that he throws. I'm not convinced that the Nats, you know, believe that he should be the guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Even at the end of last year when, You know, I remember like having Finnegan and then dropping him to pick up Carl Edwards Jr. And then seeing Finnegan get two saves and then dropping Carl Edwards Jr. to pick him up. And then the next week dropping him to pick somebody else up. I'm just not sure that they've shown a desire to go with him. He was effective last year when his velo was up a lot, but without the velo bump, um, he wasn't very good. He's wild. He's erratic. I just don't see using a 17th round pick on on him
1: yeah i mean he's a great example of uh why it's nice to pay up for saves uh i i would probably pick like i'd say hunter harvey has just as good a chance to finish with more saves than finnegan in that bullpen and edwards jr has got some pedigree as well so uh definitely agree with that pick um yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend drafting a lot of these guys uh i i don't think uh i don't think taking a pitcher that's going from the dodgers to the angels is a great idea coming off a career year and tyler anderson um i mean i don't have any interest in Kopek in this range um i mean i have no interest in Kalnick in this range i mean I'll just say Jared Kellenick. I, I also, I mean, I, he's the biggest prospect in this range So Jordan Walker. I also don't want here, but this is draft champions ADP. So I at least get the case for Jordan Walker when you're taking 50 players and you know, you hope you can plug him in by mid may or something like that. But uh, you know, Kalanick, the, the the Mariners aren't waiting around for him to figure it out. Like he's, he's just not going to play if he's as good as he was last year. So I just think you're really wasting a pick uh, on just kind of a desperate upside play here with Kelnick. Um You know, it could work out, but uh, just looking at the players in this round, I'm really kind of gravitating towards the guys that I'm most confident in are going to give me actual value. So the Ben the Cobbs, Eovaldes, um just guys that I think are just going to be kind of not too high or too low. So uh, a lot of easy fades in that round, but I'll go with Jared Kalnick.
2: Yeah. I love the, I love the Cobb call and Aovaldi <laughs> too. Like, I mean, Cobb, I think like last year was almost like a worst, not, not a worst case scenario. Things could always be worse, but when you just look at how some of his starts, went and the lack of luck on, yeah. Um in some instances, I think it could go a lot, a lot better. And a second year with the Giants is 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 good. Yep, that's that's definitely my read on things. Uh all
1: right, Toby. What uh do you got anything to plug? Anything you want to mention before we sign off here? Uh
2: not really. At uh on Twitter at Batflip Crazy, I have a podcast that I do uh weekly with uh, Bubba from Bench with Bubba that comes out. Usually we do it on Tuesday nights, comes out Wednesday morning because we're West Coast folks. Um but yeah, just uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be here, James. It's it's uh, fantastic to join you, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing you um, in Vegas uh, for uh, for drafting in March. Yeah, man i i, I
1: love uh, love that you're doing that pod with Bubba. I Had a great time hanging out with him in Arizona, and uh, yeah, uh, man, it's gonna be here before you know it. I'm gonna be able to watch you in that uh, that diamond auction. Sunday morning before my Sunday main event draft uh, just going to be going to be a perfect weekend there in in Vegas here at the end of at the end of March so
2: really looking forward to that um, I'll, I'll try to inspire you by drafting her or, or drafting Andrew Benintendi so really get you motivated
1: <laughs> well I know all those diamond auction drafters were listening to this pod and they'll, they'll push it they'll push you the extra dollar <laughs> for sure all right that was Toby Gavin uh, at Crazy on Twitter. Uh, I'll be back next week. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the Road to Our Fantasy Baseball Podcast.